0: Gobbles and ghouls and welcome to another episode of my haunted life podcast with me your host angela herchorn how is everyone doing today i missed you all so very much between moving getting ready for the colorado renaissance festival and recovering from new orleans there just was no way for me to get the podcast out as much as i wanted to uh in fact i am sitting on my bed recording this because none of my office is here yet and it's been difficult but nothing was going to stop me from getting an episode out this week special shout out to my friends over at Dark Matter Oddities and Artisan Collective and Bloody Mary's Haunted Museum and Spirit Shop in New Orleans, who are now carrying some of my work. So if you happen to be in the French Quarter, go check them out. And I'm really hoping to have them both on the podcast soon, schedules permitting. Today's show is brought to you by my grandmother, a frequent guest of the show. She just so happened to see an article in one of the local papers, the Pueblo Chieftain, one morning about some of the haunted happenings in the Pikes Peak area. I grew up in the area and literally live at the base of Pikes Peak and was completely taken aback when she read me the article over the phone. I had never... Heard that there was a haunting associated with the story I'm going to tell you. So, of course, I did some research, went down a huge rabbit hole, had no idea what I was getting myself into. And it it's a it's it's kind of an insane story, not gonna lie. We go from a ghost on Pike's Peak, we have Rattlesnakes. We have serial killers. We kind of have a little bit of everything this week. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea. Make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. Imagine being in the prime of your life, happy and absolutely in love, recently married and traveling from California to Colorado to visit America's mountain with your brand new spouse on your honeymoon only to not survive the trip. This is what happened to Winona Mona Roberts. It's 1932. So I'm picturing her in a little cloche hat and a button jacket, her brunette hair perfectly placed in those pristine curls, sitting in an old model Ford, just enjoying the scenery and the breeze through the windows. Perhaps they stopped at the little Glencloth gift shop for a little snack, perhaps looking for a little souvenir from their first trip together and then disaster her and her fiance were driving up the Pikes Peak highway when the car plummeted off the side of the highway at mile marker 13 off the side of the cliff and landed hundred and fifty feet below to make things even more horrible Wynona, Mona, did not die in the crash. She survived, but was in really bad shape, sustaining a tremendous wound to the back of her head. She did, however, die three weeks later. Not from her injuri- injuries sustained in the crash, but from drowning in a bathtub. And this is where things take a turn. What happened to the fiance, you might ask? He survived the accident completely unscathed. No scratches, no bruises, nothing. After Mona died, he took off. And this is where the story gets crazy. Okay, for today's podcast, I am going to be telling everyone the story of Desperation Mona, and this story came to me because my grandmother found it in the paper, so I felt that it was appropriate to tell Grandma, along with all you guys, my findings. So Grandma, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Good. Making sure you could hear everything. How are you today?
1: I can hear everything, yeah.
0: (laughs) How are you today?
1: Oh, I'm I'm doing fine. Just normal.
0: Oh, okay. But you can hear me good?
1: I can hear you good, yeah.
0: Oh, okay. So, this story you found in the Pueblo Chieftain, and... I find it amusing that you don't remember this conversation at all. But, uh, I'm going to retell you the story. So, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. In 1973, a man who worked on the Pikes Peak Highway stopped by Glen Cove Gift Shop after work to have a cigarette on his way down the mountain. He had worked on the mountain for about Thirty-three years, so he was pretty used to all the sights and the sounds of the evening around there. But something different happened that night. As he took a drag off of his cigarette, a nude, wet woman with long, dark hair came running out of the trees, gesturing for help. I can't even imagine that. That just sounds terrifying.
1: Well, yeah, I thought she had a,
0: uh, I thought initially she had a dress on. Nope, she was naked.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, He hurried up, wrapped his jacket around the woman, and gave her a ride down the mountain. He remembers her arms and hands feeling very clammy, and her breath on the back of his neck felt icy cold. He drove her down to the toll booth at the bottom of the mountain where the woman got off the bike, took off the jacket, and went running back up the mountain. The man was completely floored. He went home and decided he needed another cigarette. (laughs) When he served, he needed
1: a drink too.
0: Right? Can you imagine? When he searched for his lighter in his jacket pocket, he found a receipt that he did not put there. Uh, for the Glen Clove Cove I keep saying Clove. Uh Cove gift shop dated September twenty first, nineteen
1: thirty two. So That's a long
0: time. I'm like, that's almost that's, that's like right after you were born.
1: Well, yeah, because
0: I was born in 32, so yeah. what month was it?
1: September, and it was the 21st. Oh, my. Must be a, a, a relative of mine.
0: See? There you go. Get this. The next day, the man went back up to Glen Cove gift shop at mile marker 13. Auspicious, just say. Uh... To ask about the woman, see if anybody had seen anything or heard anything, that sort of thing. He was shocked (laughs) to find out that many people had seen her over the decades. So this is the 70s. So people had been seeing her for like 40 years um, at this point. And like prominent people in the springs. Like one of the articles I read said Spencer Penrose, which was one of the big investors in Colorado Springs and actually built, we the,
1: built Colorado Springs practically, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Big, big famous guy. Uh apparently he's the one that put up the money and built Pikes Peak Highway. He was a firm believer in desperation, Mona. I don't know if he ever saw her, but he was quoted to tell the story numerous times. And it is said that if you are up at mile marker 13 at dusk, you can see her gesturing in desperation. So this guy had given a ride to a ghost.
1: I, did he go back up again? I, I think I would disappear and never go up that
0: road again. Right? I don't know how I feel about it, to be perfectly honest. Like, I I think it'd be... I think it would be a little bit. Uh, I'm assuming he just kept working. Nothing I saw said anything about him quitting. But, I'll get into it later. Or, actually, I mention it later, but not... In your segment, so I'll tell you now, since there's been so much construction on the highway with the new Summit House and everything going in, the construction workers have actually reported seeing sightings of her on the highway. This is just recent? Yeah, in the last couple of years since they've been doing the construction.
1: Wow. Is that going cold? house still there didn't they tear that down
0: I don't know I was going to look it up from what I saw on the map it's still there but well,
1: someone one time I read that they were dismantling it because they were doing this road construction and it was in the way or something I don't know what the reason
0: no everything
1: because I'm... they were building that thing up on top of the hill they, I guess they figured they didn't need the other one
0: Uh, As far as I can tell, it's still there. Um, Mm,
1: That'd be interesting.
0: I think so. Everything's there. It's over there by the uh, Crystal Reservoir. Oh. So on the map, it looked like it was halfway down the mountain or so. Oh, I think
1: that's where it's supposed to be, yeah.
0: Okay. So yeah, it's there.
1: I remember right through the years, I remember it being uh, that the road curved right in there. It took a big curve going, you know, it's how the mountain highways were due. They yeah. went back and forth and they curved, yeah. Did you run in your research anything about when they did these races up there, Pikes Peak race, d- different races, this one guy went off the road right at that spot. He got I don't know if it killed him or if he got injured really bad and they had to go and do a rescue because he went, Sailing way way down. Did you find anything in your research on
0: that? I and it was
1: because he He's seen
0: something. Yeah. What? Um. I didn't go into any of the hill climb stuff. Um. And for those that don't know, the Pike's Peak International Hill Climb is this big. I want to say stock car, but I am not a race person, so well, it, forgive it, it me. It's been
1: quite a few years ago. So yeah. I don't what.
0: Type of race it was. Yeah, I mean, it's cars. It's it's cars going up the mountain. Um, but um, as much as I hate to say it, there's there has a tendency to be an accident almost every year. Um, but I think in like like it's hundred. Uh, I want to say it's like been going on for like a hundred years. I'm not sure, but there's only like seven, eight deaths associated with the hill climb. That's not yeah,
1: terrible. I, just <laughs> I remember reading about it when it happened, yeah. And that the fact that the guys, when they, I think they recovered him, whether he died from his injuries or if he just was taken to the hospital. But he said he had seen her. And it was on this oh. curve on that road, right where that uh, gift shop
0: was. No, I never I mean that, that that's where she is. It's mile marker thirteen Glenclove. This I know I know nothing about. That's interesting. Well,
1: they don't talk about those things anymore. It just that's history. It fades up, people forget,
0: yeah. You know. Huh. No, that 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 that's not one that I know. I know there I, the last death occurred only a couple years ago. He went off, not that one. You're thinking an older one, right?
1: Well, I know it was quite some time ago. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Um, see, and you were worried about not contributing to the podcast. Oh well.
1: <laughs> Like you said, I can't keep my mouth
0: shut. (laughs) That's why I love you. Okay, so here, this is fun. Because I I went down such a rabbit hole with this. I didn't think I would find anything about this weird little local legend kind of thing of this woman who died on Pikes Peak. But I found so much. Not necessarily about her, but the man that killed her—it <laughs> wasn't an accident. Spoiler alert. Um. So it it this the whole story is insane. So I'll just start at the beginning. Um, and really, the only thing I could find about her before she got married to a gentleman named Robert S. James. Was that she was from Fargo. We know she died in 1932. So there's like no social media to pour through. There, I could not find family. I, I dug for her. I've been on this story for, God, a couple months now, I think. And I just...
1: Well, I think she was a newlywed, wasn't she?
0: Yeah, they were newlywed and which is a weird thing that comes into play. Uh they had gotten married and then 3 months later took this honeymoon. And remember the 3 months thing cuz it comes in later, which is strange. So, I almost I I honestly almost didn't do the podcast cuz there wasn't enough about her. But this the story is so weird I have to share it. That being said, we have So much information on Robert. Long story short. Spoiler. He's basically a real piece of shit human being. He's kind of the worst of the worst. Um, uh,
1: There was a lot of men like that at that time, yeah?
0: Yeah. Uh, Here's something. Little did poor Mona know that she was the first victim of... Of a man that would become a serial killer. So I went and looked up. The exact definition. Of a serial killer on the FBI website. And it states. That there has been at least one attempt. To formalize the definition of serial murder. Through legislation. In 1998, a federal law was passed by the United States Congress titled Protection of Children from Sexual Predator Act of 1998, Title 18, United States Code, Chapter 51, Section 1111. It's a lot to say. Uh, This law includes a definition of serial killings. The term serial killings means a series of three or more killings not less than one of which was committed within the US having common characteristics such as to suggest that reasonable possibility that the crimes were committed by the same actor or actors also cited by the FBI. Most of the definitions also required a period of time between the murders. This break in time was necessary to distinguish between a mass murder and a serial murderer. Serial murder required a temporal separation between the different murders, which is described as separate. Occasions, cooling-off period, or emotional cooling-off period. Yeah. So, basically, to be a serial killer, you gotta kill three or more people and have cooling-off period in between. When it's rapidly done, that's when, when it's mass murder. So... You got to you got to follow me on this one. I'm following you. All right. So, Ray- Raymond Lizamba? So, I'm not 100% sure how to say this last name, so I am just going to butcher it. Um it's Raymond Lesamba? Liz Lizbamba? No, no was born in 1895 in Alabama to sharecroppers picking cotton when he learned he was the sole beneficiary of his uncle's $4,000 life insurance policy.
1: Which was a lot of money then.
0: Right? He learned early on that someone dying was the easiest way for him to make money. That's my fun little commentary there. He served in the Army during the First World War as a private using the name Davis, which is strange. Uh, Lizamba, whatever, um, moved to Birmingham, Alabama, changed his name to Robert James, and went to Barber College. And it's weird because he always seems to come back to being a barber. It kind of has a Sweeney Todd feel every once in a while to it.
1: Yeah. I,
0: I, I don't know what that says about barbers. Um, Mona, who our, our girl, our spirit, was actually his third wife. At age 26, he married Maude Duncan, who quickly divorced him for sadistic Cruelty. Here's my thing. This is the ni- 1930s, 20s. It must be the 20s, and she's getting a divorce already. When?
1: Well, getting a divorce was not a common thing. At yeah, all. it was bad reputation, but sometimes, yeah, it did happen. I know, I know people back when kids I went to school with the parents it wasn't uh, like it is now. But then it
0: was for those reasons, yeah. Okay. See, that I didn't know. I just thought it was a really bad sign. Um his second wife, who I don't have a name for, uh, he completely abandoned. He just took off. He had moved to Kansas, opened a new barber shop, got remote well,
1: something he was comfortable with.
0: <laughs> right? Oh, just wait. Barbershops always come back into it. It's so weird. He got remarried to this woman when someone came into his barbershop one day, shotgun in hand, accusing Robert of getting his daughter pregnant. So Robert completely skipped town, abandoning his wife, and went to Fargo.
1: He was a busy little
0: boy, wasn't he? Right? In Fargo, he opened another barber shop, and eventually met Mona, married her, and took out a life insurance policy on her. And three months into their marriage, they finally left for their honeymoon in Colorado. I have a feeling you you have an idea where this is going. Well, yeah, he
1: was planning to kill her. That was the reason for the insurance, yeah.
0: Uh Uh-huh. In 1941, a legal document in Lizamba versus People. So, one of the times he was in court. While driving down Pike's Peak, their automobile went off the road. James went for a... So, this is James' story. Uh, When the persons called upon reached the automobile, they found James's wife laying partly outside the car with her head badly crushed and a bloody hammer in the back of the car. James appeared unhurt. To me, this was weird because they made a note of this bloody hammer. But didn't think anything more of it. Like, it wasn't taken into evidence. It was just like, oh, yeah, there's a bloody hammer in the back seat. Okay. Well, this now this identifies
1: for you what women were not considered mu- worth anything.
0: Well, yeah. Uh, and she didn't die. She actually survived this. Either accident or some people think because my question and this was a weird thing I never found in any of the documentation was what was the state of the car (laughs) like was the did they actually go off the side of the road did he just like stage it after he hit her with a hammer I could not find that specifically and I was very upset about that I wanted to know about that but I never heard about uh, what kind of state the car was in. Uh, well, I
1: doubt if he went off the road unless he just went off to the shoulder shoulder of the road. Because if he if he was using a hammer on him her, he wouldn't be where he possibly the car keep going. He have to be on solid ground.
0: Oh yeah. I mean there's there's something weird. One way or another. He's an asshole. Um and here's well, where- the- Aren't all men that? <laughs> this is why I have you on the podcast um, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, so Wynona actually recovered after two weeks in the hospital and she was released and you know wasn't doing too bad and the couple was staying in a tourist cabin here in Manitou Springs according to J. Robert Nash Author of Blood Letters and Bad Men, awesome book title, a short time later, James arrived at the police station to report that his poor wife had drowned in a bathtub. He explained that she must have been dizzy from the mountain mishap and slipped unconscious beneath the water. He collected a life insurance policy of $14,000 and went back to Alabama and married a fourth time. When the new wife learned that he wanted to take out a life insurance policy on her, she said people who get insured always die of something strange and immediately divorced him. So she knew something was wrong. (laughs) Wow. She followed her gut on that one.
1: (laughs) So she survived.
0: Yeah, she survived. The fourth wife survived. But isn't that insane? So, like, this poor woman gets her head smashed in with a hammer, survives, and then gets drowned in a bathtub. Well,
1: there's one that's supposed to drown in a bathtub. Is that the one that's the ghost on the bike speed? Yes. Well, she didn't, oh, it didn't say exactly why she died. She, so she died in the bathtub.
0: She died in the bathtub. So she got hit. They found her on Pike's Peak. They brought her down to the hospital. She was in the hospital for two weeks and recovered and was actually released back into his custody. And that's when she was found drowned in the bathtub.
1: Mm. Well, yeah, by that time he was scared that she would, wrong I mean, him,
0: yeah. Right? That's kind of my thing. I'm like, did, did she not know? Because I know sometimes with head wounds, if you sustain, like, a severe head wound, you'll have no memory of what happened.
1: Well, it, it, that can happen, but not always. It, it just depends on the human being. Everybody's body is there for
0: yeah. Another twist. <laughs> uh Because he can't help himself. So, James decided to take a break from destroying his wives and focused on Cornelius Wright. It's a hell of a name. Uh, his nephew, that is unfortunately described as accident prone, he took out A life insurance policy on his nephew invited him to visit while on leave from the U.S. Navy and gave him the use of his car. Wright promptly drove off a cliff, killing himself. A a mechanic who checked out the car later told James that something was wrong with the steering wheel. So now he's killed his own nephew. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, he doesn't have—he doesn't have any sense of uh, what it is. He lost his feelings for human beings. Yeah. Yeah. They were just something there. That's all. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So I—I I just thought, like, his nephew—that's awful. And he keeps going because remember, serial killer is three. This is only two. Uh, next, James went to Los Angeles and met Mary Bush, who was 26 years old and described as a tall blonde. He hired her as a manicurist for his new barbershop. Now, this this part of the story gets really dark. Like, I know it was pretty dark before. This takes it. A couple levels darker, Um, and yeah, this is this is everyone and your warning, Grandma. Um, So she was his last wife, but when authorities started to look into the case. In one article from the Los Angeles Times, it states that they weren't sure if there weren't more wives. There was a possibility that Mary was actually the sixth or seventh wife, but they couldn't confirm it. Like he just went into like a town and married someone, like he probably abandoned the like he did with the Kansas one where he abandoned her. But uh in 1935, After he insured her life, this dude has a pattern. (laughs) The couple discovered she was pregnant. Mary insisted on an abortion. Which I also find very interesting that this is 1935 and she's asking for an abortion. I know they've happened and they've always have happened. But I
1: think oh, it's always been known to happen. That's what. why it was so dangerous because it was done very un- unscientifically, yeah?
0: Yeah. Just wait. <laughs> uh, James persuaded a friend, Charlie Hope, to pose as a doctor to do the abortion. In the meantime, the two men got a hold of Two rattlesnakes. And it sounds like Charlie was actually the one that went in to buy the rattlesnakes for him. But that's not important. Uh, Hope says he arrived at the house to find that James had blindfolded his wife or taped her mouth and eyes shut and had tied her to the kitchen table or a chair, depending on which article you read. They poured whiskey down her throat, telling her that it would dull the pain, and then stuck her feet into a box containing the snakes so they could bite her, and left her to die. They had only well, been he married. was a nice guy, right? They had only been married three months. So they've
1: been evil for years going back and back and back you kind of wonder why these guys come up with all these ideas right
0: but here's the thing she didn't die <laughs> uh, she didn't die from the snake. no she didn't die from the snakes um, uh, it, it comes in later but the snakes they they actually had them at trial <laughs> and they think maybe they were just too young to produce that much venom. But no, she didn't die. (laughs) Uh, When um, James came home from work, she was still alive. So uh, later, Charlie Hope testified that James then drowned her in the bath, dragged her out, to the lily fish pond that they had in the garden and left her face down in the water to accidentally be discovered the next day.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's set the stage, yeah. Yep.
0: Uh, and in uh, this case file I read, it stated that James was at his barber shop on August 5th that evening he took two friends home for dinner when they arrived at the house when they arrived the house was dark and empty and upon a search of the grounds his wife's body was found in the position indicated an autopsy showed the lungs were almost filled with water the left great toe showed a puncture, and the left leg was greatly swollen and almost black. Nothing came Ah. of the investigation, because they believed it was an accident.
1: Well, that's why, why, isn't it, the modern age, we got forensics. They can see things.
0: People are trained for it, yeah. Right? I'm just like, nobody's checking this. And this is the thing. And it's so frustrating. Okay, I'll tell you. I, I I gotta tell you the first part. I'm jumping ahead. I'm sorry. So he was able to go on and collect twenty thousand dollars in life insurance this time because it was an accidental death, and he was a, trying to collect twice the amount of insurance. Um, I'm not good with insurance, so. If, You understand this. You can explain it. Uh, But apparently there's something called double indemnity. Indemnity, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so in some insurance clauses that in the case of an accidental death, the beneficiaries can claim twice the amount of the original insurance claim. And this is where people start paying attention. (laughs) Because the insurers, the, the insurance company thought something was odd. Not the fact that this guy had multiple dead people around him claiming their insurance, but they were certainly not okay with him claiming twice the money. So a new investigation was opened into Mary's death. As, well, it was about time. <laughs> right? But it's not done by the police. I, I think the police were watching him. I From everything... I was gathering, like, I think the police had an eye on him, but they didn't have enough evidence to do anything with. Um, On April 19th, 1936, officers arrested James for the crime of incest against a Miss Wright. I have no idea who this person is. It doesn't say anything. It just says incest. And then if you read uh, the court documents, it says a Miss Wright. I don't even know if that's her real name. Well,
1: when when the initial murders were starting, wasn't there a name Wright there you mentioned?
0: Uh, Oh, you're right. The nephew was Cornelius Wright. Okay,
1: so oh, that's where the incest come in. Must have been a...
0: Maybe his sister or his mother or something.
1: Maybe a niece? Yeah, it could have been a niece, yeah. A female relative. Well, that that narrow down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, You're right, because it was. It was Cornelius Wright. Ah, I didn't put that together. Nice. So, this, I don't know how I feel about this. It, It reminds me of Al Capone. You know, notorious gangster, drug dealer, possible murderer. Getting arrested for not paying his taxes. It, well, that's the only thing they could charge on him. It, it was just kind of this random plot twist in the whole story. I mean, Well that Well, that's the type
1: of people that are just, well, they're kind of schizophrenic by, uh, I'm not going to mention the name on now, but that's kind of how he does things
0: now.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why they're, they're stressing the taxes now, because... They want to make sure yeah you
0: know. right, but so it
1: kind of gives you an idea what the psychic makeup of people like that are can be, yeah they okay. can be dangerous well, that's why it's so f- one way or the other, either physically or verbally or whatever yeah
0: well it it just kills me that not one of his wives but a poor another woman who's come across his path, but uh he was booked. On this charge, on the incest charge, on the morning of April 21st, was given a hearing and remanded to jail. And it sounds like the police, like I said, they were kind of paying attention um, to what was going on around him. So when he was uh, arrested for the incest charge on May 2nd and 3rd, they started questioning him about his wife. That just died, Mary, not Mona. They were. It didn't sound like anybody put those together yet. Um, but they started questioning him about Mary, and he very quickly confessed and told them everything. So James and Hope, the guy that was with him, were indicted. On May 6, 1936, for Mary's murder, back in August. Hope pled guilty and was sentenced to life imprisonment. James pled not guilty. And so the trial started. Hope turned on James real quick.
1: At yeah, the, I'm not...
0: At, Get this, at... The trial, Hope demonstrated, like, he got up and demonstrated how Mary's feet were put into the box. He also identified the snakes. And it honestly sounds like the snakes became, like, the star witnesses on the stands. Like...
1: that was... That's good evidence, yeah.
0: Right? Like, uh, um... There were human witnesses that were brought in as well to identify that uh, they were the snakes that were bought in question. You know, they're the ones Hope had. And I can't, like, pitch, I can't help but picture, like, you know, the classic lineup um, stage and, like, every law and order. In every like true crime movie, there's always that lineup of all the um, suspected guys in the back. I'm just picturing that with rattlesnakes. Yeah. And and these people picking which rattlesnakes were did them. They even named the rattlesnakes. They named. We
1: have to give them an identity.
0: Yeah, they named them Lightning and Lethal.
1: Well, those are fitting up names, yeah. Right? The lethal, lethal for sure,
0: yeah. I just like, really? And they even brought live rattlesnakes into the courtroom. And according to the defense, to frighten and prejudice the jury. Like, the whole thing was really, it was really a spectacle. Um, and his lawyers tried everything to get James off. Um Lily, can you hear the squeaking behind me?
1: Yes, I can. Which one's
0: that, Lily? What are you doing?
1: She she contributed to the
0: story. Apparently, I don't know what she's squeaking about. Anyways, uh, so. Like I said, his lawyers tried everything to get James off. First, that his confesh- confession on May 2nd and 3rd were not admissible because he was subjected to 48 hours of non-stop questioning. So his cof- co- uh, confession was coerced.
1: Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, that still happens in courts now. Uh-huh. That was one I just read about in... Sometime down the week, that this, that uh, the judge was, I don't know, name go, but he said he was coerced because he coerced by in, the uh, investigation, the investigators, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's still a very good thing to use, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, the judge disagreed, and it's really weird because if you go back and forth and look at, all of this is, this case is so well documented, which is really weird. But if you go back and look at the case files, the police actually, like, took him out to a cafe, he got food, he got um, a cigar, and was telling, he he just told them these things. You know, he was just the most evil he
1: had a charismatic personality. Yes,
0: you could just tell he thought he was going to get off kind of thing. But you know, he he confessed, but it was just he was just so evil and pretentious that it was just weird. And then um the prosecution brought up Mona and her death and how strikingly similar it was to Mary especially with him going for that life insurance payment after being married only 3 months. And his his defense objected since there was no conviction or proof that anything happened to Mona except for James's confession that was co- coerced. So They, the the defense said you can't use that. Coerced.
1: Coerced. Is that the word you're trying to
0: use? I'm trying. I'm failing. Um, and then, uh, his defense argued that Charlie Hope had been coerced with promises of leniency and threats of fraud. So. Um they said if you turned on him, we'll give you an easier sentence kind of thing. You won't face the death penalty. And he took it and they said, We'll see. You can't trust his statement. He's just doing what the police tell him to. Which I also found fascinating. And then and again, it just kept going. They also argued that the testimony of an accomplice must be collaborated to be taken into evidence and hopes was not collaborated and therefore should be thrown out so they literally tried to find every loophole which was to me very interesting uh it didn't really matter <laughs> he was found guilty and sentenced to death
1: oh my so they did get him
0: yes Here's the next thing now. James and his lawyers tried to fight this, citing that he was not given proper due process, claiming now that he had never confessed to anything and was just held and beaten by police, all of which the police and the prosecution denied. And that the court went against his 14th Amendment right to a fair trial by bringing in the snakes to scare the jury, admitting as evidence Mona's death as pattern, though there was no conviction or proof that he did it, and Hope turning on him, saying he was coerced, by the police. In the same way that James had been so. Hope you was... know,
1: this is before Miranda That's yes. what You you hear those attorneys going there about their rights and their coercion. This is before M- Miranda rights was uh, mm-hmm. legalized, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: I don't remember when that happened, but it was back like in the 40s or 50s or sometime right in there. Oh, see,
0: so, I was... Gonna... never
1: be that period of time, yeah.
0: I was guessing uh, 60s.
1: Well, I think about the 50s, yeah. Because I... this one guy, they, they his lawyer went in and they fought. He was sentenced to, to whatever happened to him. And they said because she wasn't informed. Something, I don't remember the gist of it, but I know then that's where they established them or in the right. So it's a mess. They must tell them in Miranda rights right from the very beginning before
0: they even try to arrest them. So, um, I just Googled it. Uh, it came about in the U.S. Supreme Court case, Miranda versus Arizona, in 1966.
1: Yeah, oh, and, that's about right, yeah.
0: And it says that the Miranda warning is a type of notification customarily given by the police to criminal suspects in police custody, advising them of their right to silence. That is their right to refuse to answer questions or provide information to law enforcement or other officials. So the whole, you have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. If you do not have one, one would be appointed to you. That. Yeah,
1: all that has to be said, yeah.
0: Yeah, so this is... Definitely before that time. So he's claiming that the police did not do anything they should have. They actually beat him. All of this. It was insane. And then, because he just kept switching stories at this point. Um, uh, you know, everything's coerced. He also claimed that he was not allowed to meet with his attorney. But everyone, including his attorney, denied that, which doesn't help when your own attorney gets up on the stand and is like, no, I I met with him. James also claimed that he was not the one at fault, but it was all Hope, the idea to kill Barry, the rattlesnakes, all of it. According to James, Hope had the idea to burn down the house when the rattlesnakes didn't work but Hope decided to drown her instead. James states that he was under the impression that Hope was just there to help with the abortion and didn't understand why Hope had drowned his wife. It's like, really? Um, well, that's what the, we
1: got a, a notorious case going on now in New York. That's why they were hoping that it flipped them off.
0: That's what they go for, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you what what, that, what they mean by it, yeah. Right? Uh, and then, in another claim, he said they were all, all three of them, him, Mary, and Charlie Hope, were heavily drinking for three days prior to Mary's death, and it basically just became a drunken orgy. And when Hope decided that he wanted Mary for himself and tried to get her to leave with him and she refused. Hope got mad and killed her.
1: Well, it's possible,
0: yeah. I guess, but I, I don't. I think James is just, Robert James is just a piece of shit. So, basically, long story short, James started coming up with any story whatsoever to make anyone else look guilty besides him and here's the thing that gets me this case went all the way up to the state supreme court and then to the united states supreme court it got all the way up to the highest court in the country which I can't believe but his convictions were upheld both times. His cases made it up to the Supreme Court. That, that's just insane. Um, well,
1: did he, well, he had all that money from the insurance, so he was able to pay <laughs> off people.
0: Fair. Fair enough. Uh, get this. He, and so he was in uh, San Quentin, for two years, on Condemned Row, which I liked Condemned Row better than Death Row. And, for some reason, like they always do, he became very religious. Yeah. So much so that the other convicts started calling him Holy Joe. Talk about charisma. Right? Isn't
1: that kind of (laughs) from so with other
0: personality but And <laughs> It's just like, really? Uh, so he ended up uh, facing the gallows for the death of his wife. And this I thought was interesting. Because I'm like, really, 1930, whenever this was, seven, I think is when he was officially convicted I'm sorry, 1936, is when he was convicted. I thought that was a little bit late for hangings. So I had to look. Oh, no. It. No? Hangings, hangings were
1: still done even when I was young. Well, yeah. Well, I was young at 32, but yeah. even up later on. And yeah. then they went to, to uh, firing squads. Then the electric chair, well, electric chair and the firing squads, yeah.
0: Um, and now
1: the, the lethal with um,
0: uh, them. Lethal injection. Yeah. Lethal weapon Yeah. Hanging, uh, no hanging
1: was very very common, yeah.
0: But, uh, so this, I so I had to look it up because I was um, intrigued. But in California in 1937 uh, a law uh, was passed decreeing execution in California was going to be gas instead of hanging. So he missed it by a year and he was um the last man killed on the gallows in California cuz everything switched Oh, is that were they
1: had him in jail was in California? He
0: ended up he stayed in California. Um and cuz uh where he killed Mary and his last barbershop he was uh in Los Angeles.
1: Oh, I was thinking that Oh rather pike
0: speak it was with that Mona, yeah. He never got convicted of Mona. Just that he happened to confess. Um, which is weird, they might not I wonder if they ever would have connected him. But anyways, so uh he ended up on May first, nineteen forty two. Rattlesnake James, as he had started to be known was executed by Gallows at San Quentin. The rope was not the right length. It was actually too long. So it didn't have like the proper snap. So it took him a whole 10 minutes to die.
1: Well, that's... Considering he had a bad laugh, that's still cruel. (laughs)
0: Uh, He was only 48 years old. He did all this... Destruction in 48 years.
1: Well, you know, going back to that time, that decade, that wasn't really too old. You know, life expectancy kept getting older and older. Oh, but fair. around about that time, that was kind of average. 50 was getting really to be real old, yeah?
0: Okay. Uh, just random final note. He willed all of his possessions to his sister a Mrs. Ava Murphy of Birmingham who also claimed his body. I assumed he's probably buried somewhere out there. I didn't look. (laughs) So that is the story of uh, Rattlesnake James and poor Desperation Mona. And she has not given up. She's still there. Right, like I said, the construction workers are still seeing her, apparently
1: yeah yeah it, it, it there's a story of her of, of that, seeing that figure keeps mm-hmm. popping up, and sometimes people say, well, she would, you're in they were in, intoxicated, then the others, no, oh, they're crazy, you know, sometimes they deny it, but yeah, it keeps showing up every once in a while, It takes a while, but take every once in a while it shows up, yeah. And, and I think it depends on what time of the day.
0: Yeah, uh, the, the legend says dusk. From everything I read was like dusk.
1: Yeah, Oh, dusk. You're saying dusk. I couldn't figure out what word you were saying. Yeah.
0: I was making words up again. Very weird, very sad story.
1: You did a real good job of researching that. It's really Interesting.
0: Well, that, like, most of, a lot of my um, research came from the Supreme Court documents. The state? The state and the U.S. Supreme, yeah, both. I could tell you.
1: Well, it was was getting that much where it got to the uh, uh, National Supreme Court. Yeah. uh, There. It, It drew a lot of interest, so there definitely would have been a lot of documentation made, yeah.
0: And it's fascinating. um, This website that you would hate. It's called Murderpedia. It's all about uh, serial killers. Like you look up a serial killer and there's all these newspaper documents and websites and it has all this information where you can look up the killer. First-hand documents. So uh, the one that I... Red was the u s supreme court Liz lesben, whatever his real name is, versus people of the state of California and oh, so
1: he, was all his trial in california
0: uh this one yes, yeah, no, everything was in california
1: but none in Colorado
0: no, he never got convicted in Colorado he after Mona he died, he took off with the money.
1: Well, I wonder where about some Mammoth Springs thing he was
0: staying at. Right? So I, I've been trying to look that up, and there's two um, uh, uh, theories that I've seen. One is the Cliff House, which is an old, gorgeous hotel.
1: Yeah, that's been there forever,
0: yeah. Exactly. And the other one is a bed and breakfast called On a Ledge, which is funny because, you know, with everything going off of cliffs in this story. Um, But it's On a Ledge Bed and Breakfast. I don't know if it still exists.
1: Well, you you initially said that, the the article said that he was staying in a tourist cabin,
0: yeah. Yeah. So those are my theories. About where about he was staying. Well,
1: maybe it's where you're you're living now.
0: God, don't say that. Wouldn't that be weird?
1: Yes, that would be weird. (laughs) Maybe that was what was wrong with Lily, why she was doing so much growling. (laughs) Maybe she's picking up something.
0: You were trying so hard to make my poor new little house be haunted. Well, I
1: think that would be interesting, be entertaining. I had that one in Denver, and she was entertaining, or he, whatever it was, yeah.
0: Mona's spectral form is stuck somewhere between crisis apparition and residual haunt. A crisis apparition is seen most commonly only once by a close family member to let them know something is wrong with someone like they were in an accident or that they had died. These apparitions are created from extreme trauma and are seen in that state which is why they have a tendency to be very frightening. A lot of time these spirits are seen as wet and nude. Sounds like our girl. Even though that's not how they were when they died. Why? No idea, but it's a thing. They are able to interact with the person they are showing themselves to and usually fade away when they have delivered some kind of message a residual haunt is more like stuck energy replaying on a loop over and over again most most people believe you can't interact with it so mona mona is something different she's like a combination of these two Paranormal ideas. She is more akin to the spirits like Resurrection Mary and other spirits that die along busy roadways, like apparitions of highwaymen. They are in their own little world, basically. Doing their own thing, going about their ghostly little lives. They seem to be able to interact with the living. Getting into cars or riding on motorcycles carrying on full conversations, and then at a certain point in the road, they're just gone. It's like they can't go any further. This year, the Pikes Peak Cog Railway and the new Summit House have opened on Pikes Peak after a few years of being closed. Parts of the highway at times were closed due to the construction. Among the construction workers, sightings of Mona in the evenings have increased dramatically. Maybe because her road was under construction or maybe because she had a captive audience. If you find yourself driving up the Pikes Peak Highway, make sure to stop into the Glen Clove gift shop. If you find yourself there at dusk, keep an eye out for a naked, wet woman in trouble. Give her the, a ride down the mountain. I dare you. A big thank you to the amazing and wonderful woman that is my grandmother, who gets a little too excited to send me creepy stories for the podcast now. My sources for this one are the Pueblo Chieftain, the Colorado Spring Gazette, Murderpedia, and FBI.org. Gov. Gov. If you have a ghost story to share, don't forget to drop me a line at my Haunted Life podcast at gmail.com you can always follow my haunted life podcast on Facebook, Instagram and TikTok all my haunted life podcast don't forget that we have a my haunted life podcast Facebook group where we have a lot of fun if you like what you hear and want to support the show please subscribe to the Patreon page You can support the show for as little as $2 a month. If you are a little tight on the financials right now, you can always go and leave the podcast five stars and write a review on your favorite podcast app. Or just share the episode with your friends and family. Word of mouth goes a long way. I only just recently realized that friend of the show, Bella Brujita, um, podcaster over at The Haunted Insider, left us a wonderful review. So, thank you so much, Bella. And that's it for this show. I'll see you all next week on my Haunted Life podcast. And until then, Stay spooky!